Drive-by cinema. Three nachos and a foaming thermos of fun. It's episode 38 of Drive-by Cinema. I'm here, I'm Rick, I'm with Paul, my co-host. Hello everybody. And, oh. and we're with Jolien, our guest host. Hi, good afternoon. Welcome Jolien. Thank you. Applause. <laughs> Jolien, a, a long-time friend and a listener of the show, who suggested Barbarian Sound Studio. That's how it got into the mix. So it's all your fault, Jolien, today. Thank you, thank you. Jolien also wanted to come on the show to take issue with something that mostly Paul said about <laughs> the American sitcom Seinfeld. Well, I didn't... Did I say it? Did you say it? Yes, you did, Paul. What did I say? You said it was trash. Well, <laughs> okay. Are we, is that how we're starting out today? About well, it would appear so. I mean, we've, my hand has been drawn on this immediately. I think Alistair uh, kind of stirred the pot on this because I hadn't heard your comments about it. And he I sent see. me a message saying, oh, Paul's been really rude about Seinfeld. I said, oh, fine. You know, I mean, I used to like Seinfeld back in the 90s when it was on. I never knew you liked Seinfeld, Charlie. <laughs> I really liked it. And um, and then he seemed to think that I should I would be feeling um, disturbed by this. But having listened to it, I've, I, I feel you may have been trolling me over the last months because there have been many, many references to how no, you dislike was. Seinfeld. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, as we know, uh, who's who? The guy, the guy who runs Reddit, was it? He's been on the, he's been on TV recently. After all this sort of uh, should should the IT moguls censor or not censor our online experience? And he was uh-huh. saying that all trolls are essentially like four-year-old children. Which I thought was a little uh, too broad a, a brushstroke to make, really. I mean, what like, you mean against four-year-old children? Well, he was saying, you know, like all this trolling behaviour is essentially, you know, it's essentially intolerable. But you know, oh gosh, we have to do it. You know, have to let them on, kind of thing. I, I'd really like to ban everybody who trolls anybody ever, kind of thing. Uh, it's quite a strange comment to make. But anyway, yes. Yeah, so we were trolling you, Jolly. I'm sorry. You were, oh, but right, no. Okay. But, well, we are trolling, but I also agree with the idea that Seinfeld is crap. By the way, so okay. doesn't mean just because I'm trolling doesn't mean that I don't agree with my opinions. <laughs> it can be true and a troll. Yes, I true yeah, and troll. So. I know, I know. But I mean, but I would take issue I'm, with the true. So aspect it of is it. T. I, I'm tatting you. I'm T A A T you. True and trolling you. So there you go. Feel yourself okay. tatted. I didn't say it was crap. I said it was, was just American, American funny. funny. Yeah. See, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really get what you mean by American funny, particularly. He means it's not funny, Jolin. <laughs> I mean, I kind of see what you mean about American shows and sitcoms generally aren't as funny as British ones. Certainly not good British ones. Like, there's no comparison between, say, the Young Ones and anything that's ever been broadcast in the US, but uh, or Blackadder. Or Blackadder, or something like that. Crikey, you know, strong really opinions here. Top levels of British uh, comedy is fan-fucking-tastic. But uh, I did like Seinfeld a great deal. I kind of happened upon it, and I liked it because the, you know, it was in amusing um, sort of Woody Allen-esque humour, and I liked the New York setting, and the diner was very much like a diner I'd uh, frequented when I was in New York. And then after a bit, you sort of get sucked in, and um, it's... There's no wasted space in that show, and the guy yeah. and Larry David, um, he would, 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 he took very great control of what was going on and made sure that um, 
it was, everything referred back to itself. And there are so many layers about what's going on. I mean, you could just think, oh, it's a daft show where someone's like, you know, Jerry goes out with a girl, meets up with his friend in the diner and says, well, you know, she was really nice, but she had, you know, ridiculously large hands. And then everyone laughs and that's the end of it. But there's all these other layers of stuff going underneath it. Of um, Like it's what? Diffi- I mean, it's difficult to try and remember. Cause it, it, well, for the uninitiated like myself, like what? Like- well, it's 20 years since I watched it, but um, you get reference back to stuff that had happened four seasons previously and jokes would uh, hang in the air for years on end and then come back. And then other aspects of it that were good, for instance, there was a, a mantra with the writers that no one had to learn anything. No one had to hug anybody. So that annoying thing that you always get in American sitcoms where it's like a journey through each episode to like a realisation that actually, yes, we should be nicer to each other. You don't get any of that shit. No one learns anything. No one becomes a better person after an episode. Um, and, and a lot of the people are quite callous. I mean, one of my favourite... So Larry David was a writer on the show. Yeah. So the character of George Costanza was basically Larry David uh, didn't want to be in the show himself. So he wrote that part to be a sort of cipher for himself. And it was... It's sometimes described as a show about nothing. Is that... Is that how it's the tagline or something? Yeah, but you know, shit happens. So in it, <laughs> it's not that money, not that minimalist. Let's just recap here. The first thing is it's great because uh, I don't know. It, there, there's there's a character who is a proxy or cipher. No, 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 Paul, 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 Paul. You're oversimplifying. Well, for the simple among us, let's simplify. Uh, number two, it's great because the continuity was not innovative or inventive, but rather improvement-minded, i.e. the continuity pointlessly referenced things from three or four series ago that only those involved in fan service would notice. <laughs> and I've just been watching a YouTube thing about this. I'm a real expert. Uh, is that <laughs> it, There's strategic UX and there's tactical UX. Like, if Google Maps improved itself rather than innovated or invented to the point where... It could tell you that the length of the journey from here to wherever you're going is going to be 23 minutes, 14 seconds, and 244 milliseconds. I mean, would we want that kind of improvement? We wouldn't, would we? And this is tactical UX, and it's pointless. We shouldn't be doing that. And what you're saying is that Steinfeld took the same methodology and improved its its continuity to to a technical level of accomplishment that nobody would appreciate. I mean, so that, that makes it great comedy. I don't think so. Uh, I think you seem to have taken the point and run to the hills, but the wrong hill. Oh. <laughs> you know, if you didn't like the show, that's fair enough. Uh, but I think... Well, you're saying the continuity is just amazingly detailed and, and, and pointless. No, I'm not saying that. Well, I misunderstood. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's fine. I'm prepared for you to misunderstand. It's well written. It's innovative in certain ways because it's, it breaks the mold from American sitcoms of it. There's, for example, nine, you know most American sitcoms that aren't sort of family based usually have a sort of will they won't they romantic connection going on in it, like in Friends or in Frasier or any other show you can mention. There's that sort of plot arc is planned, and they deliberately didn't go with any of that nonsense. It's just people, you know, like I said, no one learns anything about from their experiences they just go on and do the same thing again next week the ones I do remember is like I remember they had an episode about double dipping at the buffet yeah and I, I quite like that episode mm-hmm. yeah. see I kind of thought you would like it because it's all about the sort of I, comedy of being embarrassed and uh, it seems to be from memory that's the sort of thing you quite liked but um, 
I'm surprised you didn't get it so much. Well, I, mean, I didn't particularly watch a lot of it, to be honest with you. Well, there you are. You seem to be making a judgment on something you don't really know that much about. Hey, Ooh. hey, <laughs> hey, stop getting serious about this. <laughs> I just want to bring up what I mean by the difference between British and American humour, though. Yeah, go on. Well, I mean, you've already said that there's some great British comedy that I think a lot of Americans appreciate for it being different. Yeah. Like the young ones, but, uh, you know, Monty Python is the yeah, big one, isn't yeah. it? Obviously, but Stephen Fryer's talked about this idea that British humour is very self-effacing and American humour doesn't seem to have that same thing. Uh, you know, in American humour, the, the hero is... You've never, you have never—you probably wouldn't get a Mr Bean or a Frank Spencer in American comedy mm-hmm. be, because they don't have that self-effacing kind of, sort of quality to their humour. And I, I guess that's what I think about when I'm talking about American funny, really. Possibly. I mean, there is a definite different um, approach to comedy, particularly in sitcoms and such, um, and stand-up. It does come through in stand-up, because yeah. if you go to any British stand-up night or like an open mic night, there's a very standard format, of the, certainly of the beginning of each act. You know, the, the guy or girl gets on stage, and the first thing they say is something about their appearance, you know, like... This is what Ali Jones looked like when it all went wrong, or, you know. <laughs> yeah, self-negging. Exactly. That's the first thing they do to kind of break the ice, and it's almost an essential part of the act. I yeah. don't think Jerry Seinfeld does that, does he, when he does those stand-up pieces? No, it's more a sort of, uh, hey, have you noticed, uh, you know, airline cues are tedious or something. Is Paul still here? Yeah. <laughs> is uh, is this a truth then? Is there a definite difference between American and British humour, or is that is it just what ends up on TV? No, I think you're, I think you've, it's very true. There is a huge difference, and largely, I would prefer British humour. And I think Seinfeld, along with a couple of other shows, uh, shone through for me as being a bit better than the general level of dross that comes out. Because it's there's a more thought involved in it. It's been someone has has questioned the format and tinkered with it and come out with something that's much more interesting than um, than it need be. It is certainly more innovative than Married with Children or whatever that <laughs> show is some daytime TV all the time. To give it its due, Paul. Paul, have we turned have we turned you around on this at all? No, no. <laughs> No, I mean, if the Titanic was selling tomorrow, I would still buy the ticket for America, listening to what you two are talking about. I mean... Is buying a ticket on the Titanic, does that mean you want to get to the US? No, I mean, even if I couldn't get there, I think, having listened to you two, I I, I want to leave the country. (laughs) How how do you arrive at that conclusion? (laughs) I don't know. Well, I, I, I... I'm sure there's some classic British comedy, but I'm fairly sure that most British comedy is pretty terrible. Well, a lot of well, it is. We're talking Mrs. Brown's boys here. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a lot of British trash, but what I'm saying is the cream of the crop from Britain is better than better. the cream of the crop from anybody else. Oh, I don't know about that. You see, I, I was kind of with you, but then when you said that Married with Children is crap, I, 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 at that point, I'm on the gangplank. I'm sorry, yeah. Cause you like it? That's brilliant, brilliant comedy. Yeah. Really? But then I like Third Rock from the Sun. Well, I so. kind of, I like, I kind of like Third Rock from the Sun as well. I thought that was quite yeah. funny. Well, sell me on Married with Children, then, Paul. <laughs> yeah. What are the deep undercurrents there? <laughs> I don't, I don't think deep undercurrents made for great comedy necessarily, do they? 
What do you like about it then? Christina Applegate. <laughs> well, the withering sarcasm, the witty okay. one-liners, the flaming put-downs, you know, it's, it's just it's just 21 minutes of fun, isn't it? You know, I mean, <laughs> some people, when they go to the seaside, you know, they want everything Jamie Oliver-fied. They want, to, they want pastel-coloured beach huts, and then they want a nice walk to a really nice restored Victorian pier that isn't rusting, and there's like, you know, bespoke candy floss at the end. And some of us just want some a dirty hamburger and, and, and a roller coaster ride, you know. <laughs> and I'm the latter variety, and you two are the former variety, you know. I'm Tesco, you're Waitrose. <laughs> it's okay. There's room in the world for both, I think. But, you know, so I'd say each to their own, rather. And I don't really... I don't get how you think British self-abasement is anything other than functional rather than psychiatric narcissism. <laughs> True. I was going to defend American comedy briefly, but then I realised that Charlie Chaplin's from England, so I'm not going to do it. <laughs> yeah, good point. And so was uh, uh, Stan Laurel. So, exactly. Yeah. So was Stan Laurel, yeah. So, so maybe you're right, actually. There was some. There was, who was that? To, who was that one from our era? The the monkey sort of mannerist uh, comedian called Lee. Was it Lee Evans or something like that? Oh yeah, yeah. Lee Evans. I remember him. And yeah. He was in a movie, wasn't he? Where where they had American directors come to Blackpool in England to discover yeah. to discover stars because yeah, of the idiosyncratic British sense of humour. But I can't remember what it's called. So I don't think it's just apocryphal. I think it's true. You know, British maybe are funnier than Americans, but totally. Yes. Since you've been listening to quite a few of the episodes to catch up recently, mm-hmm. have you got any corrections that you need to put into the corrections section before we move on to today's movie? Oh dear, oh dear. We're on, how many, we've only got about another 40 minutes, haven't we? So probably best to skip over that. Because it's just, um, you know, little barrel loads. All right. Good point. <laughs> well, we, we, oh God. <laughs> I wouldn't want to well, embarrass you. Let's talk then about Barbarian <laughs> Sound Studio after this Sting Music. In three, two, one. Paul, tell me about Barbarian Sound Studio. This is a cautionary tale about being tolerant about people's poor sound quality in podcasts. (laughs) (laughs) Richard. Can you hear any seagulls on my on my on my feed today? Not today, no. Can you hear any creaky, I don't mind the creaky seagulls. chairs? Honestly, the seagulls are quite nice. Compared to the chairs are annoying. The the traffic passing outside it makes it very difficult to edit. Okay, sir. Because when you hear a car going past in Doppler, it's yeah. obvious when I've had to make a cut. Okay. Have you can you have you not some sort of Doppler recreation software where you can just sort of sample the one side of it and then recreate it in reverse and put it back on again? Right, so 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 it is a cautionary tale about working in Foley, uh, which I, I guess is recreating realistic sound effects, uh, working in dubbing and, and voiceovers, and for it all going a bit wobbly and wonky and pear shaped. I shall never look at a watermelon, this watermelon in the same way again. <laughs> that's all I can say. Julian, you suggested this movie, so you must have an idea before you watched it what you thought. Well, I hadn't seen it ever. Um, I had read the reviews of it when it came out, and I was. We, I would have, should have gone to see it, um, but I don't know. I was never 
it just passed me by for some reason. But the reviews of it were ecstatic, I thought. So it sounded interesting. And then when you started talking about um, watching Jello uh, movies, particularly that, that first one that you watched, was it The Beyond? The Beyond. The Beyond yeah, then it, yeah. it sort of ticked a memory in my mind about this film. I thought, oh, yeah, yeah. let's go. Let's let's check that out and see what it's like. Because it referen- obviously there are many references back to those films and other films uh, in the Barbarian Santa studio. So it was directed and written, maybe, by Peter Strickland. Mm-hmm. Has he done other stuff that's notable? This is his second movie. It's not that prolific, is he, really? No, I read around it. He's done another four films, but none of them oh. really sprung out as being well-known. Now, it all gets complicated here because it's a movie. In a, in a, it's a movie about... The sound effects making a movie, making a movie, and then at some point the lead character imagines that he's in the movie that they're making. So it's like a movie in a movie in a movie. Well, I mean, you really you're cutting to the, the yeah, the you're getting to the end, though, wouldn't you? Yeah. That's, def- that's definitely the last quarter, isn't it, where things really go tits up. You got to get to did I just how do we, how do we get to that point? Is the uh, and then indeed what's happening at that point is uh, well before then it all goes a bit Weinstein or is it Weinstein? It, yes, there's a bit of that, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, is it the yeah, director or the me too producer, stuff, yeah. or is, he assaults the lead voice talent? Mm-hmm. It's the director, isn't it? The yeah. director. Yeah, let's have a bit more setup for what's going on here, Paul, because uh, it's the we've got an Englishman who's been invited. Toby Jones. Toby Jones, invited to uh, to an Italian horror movie studio to to uh, create the sound effects for a film because he's done he's been successfully doing um other work before but not for he's been doing like nature films and public information films and things like that oh so he's a man in a shed essentially yeah and you get the idea that he's quite well known and innovative and known in his field and uh they've invited him over for his expertise but he's a bit you know he's obviously he's a fish out of water when he comes to being in in italy doing a horror movie He's a bit wet around the ears still, the kind of stuff. It's yeah. it's weird, isn't it? They make out like they got him in because he's well regarded. Yeah. Mm. But there's a small section of his work, we presume, that's shown about two thirds of the way through the movie. Yeah. And it is, as you say, it's like a public information film or a tourist information film about Box Hill. Mm. And there's some views over the countryside and there's presumably some nature sounds in the background. You can't imagine there's much in the way of sound effects and foley, and you know it might be well mixed. I don't know, but yeah, it, it, it's mysterious why they would think. And I think this is maybe partly in the movie. But there's also when he's doing his work, he seems to be getting quite a an effective um, noise out of all the stuff. You know, because yeah. you know he's playing with that Watkins copycat and um, and adding little twinges of, of 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 stuff onto the screams and things, and really adding depth to it. So it does appear that he knows what he's up to. What's a Watkins copycat? Oh, a Watkins copycat is an item of beauty. I used to have one and I sold it to um, um, someone who won't sell it back to me. But he will be listening. <laughs> that's, that's the normal way though, isn't it? He, he will, he will be listening. Things goes. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember my Watkins pop- copycat, Paul? I don't know if you ever met well, it's like a Mellotron, but on, for your feet. Is that right? Not quite. No, it's a uh, it's a tape loop with uh, many. Yeah, but heads. for your feet. You don't you don't operate it with your feet. Uh, you your do. Tongue. You break it. You, you lick button. it. <laughs> you eyeball it. You stare at it in the wrong kind of way. 
Oh, so that was the tape loop thing. Yeah, yeah. You're looking at me the wrong way, mate. I do remember it, Johnny. You were very... Because you were like, this is what the Beatles used. I was like, no, it's not. And apparently it is something they used. They also used a Mellotron, didn't they? So, they did, yes. Which is like yeah. many, many copycats all in a line. How do you see how they make a Mellotron? Have you looked on the inside, the upside down of a Mellotron? No, I haven't. Oh my god, it's gravity operated tape reels. It's yes. just crazy. <laughs> and then when you take your hand off the, the keyboard, like the, it drops back down again, the tape. Yeah, yeah. It's just nuts. It's crazy. Well, since the. Uh, what oh, but copycat? wait, there are five different sounds on the tape reels, so it doesn't just like draw itself up. It spins around to where that sound begins, then draws itself slowly up, and then falls back down again almost immediately. It's just like the amount of engineering to just produce such shitty sounds is just incredible. <laughs> Certainly, the thing they had available to them. So the Watkins, but, what's it called? The Watkins copycat. copycat. Yeah. And what it does, it plays. It'll, it'll like echo it out, isn't that right? And just slowly distort it and dissolve it into itself. Yeah. Would that be fair enough? A summation. Well, it can do that, but it, it mostly it's just for adding a little bit of reverb onto, um, onto ah. stuff. But you can you can fuck with it and um, and make wonderful noises if you treat it differently. So it's like a flesh jack in that respect. A what? What? <laughs> <laughs> How is a flesh jack <laughs> like yeah. Who a is, reverb machine? You said, you know, it depends how you fuck with it. You know, so. <laughs> oh, I see. Right. So, <laughs> I'm sorry. Look, what? I thought you were talking about an item of clothing. <laughs> it's been a long lockdown. No one judges you. Uh, don't worry. Look. Uh, like someone said to me, I couldn't hear them the other day, are you fucking deaf or what? I said, I'm sorry, I'm deaf all the time, not just during copulation. So, <laughs> he arrives in Italy and, and we get a sumptuous display of period design features. He walks through from the airport to the office kind of thing. We've got film reels and phones and filing cabinets and desk lamps, all beautifully presented in period, in period truth. Typewriters, because <laughs> the, the Typewriters, uh, woman... Yeah. At the desk is using a typewriter, and this is this is the day when secretaries and receptionists were literally going to do nothing apart from essentially look pretty for the boss. You know, she's like, <laughs> she's like, I'm, I'm I'm the secretary. I'm not helping you. Don't ask me for help. I'm the designated do nothing bitch kind of thing. You know, so. oh, quite imperiously too. I don't think too. that's true because oh sorry. Listen, every if you think about how we use computers these days. You know, every printed piece of material oh, you're right, yeah. is put into a computer. In those days, it had to all be typewritten by someone who knew how to use a typewriter. And knowing how to use a typewriter really means knowing how to use Tipex or whiteout <laughs> on a typewriter. Can I run to the hills with this again? What about the IBM typing pool conundrum, which I think is always really fascinating? What is it? I'm not familiar with that. But it's the conundrum or the contradiction that, it, you know, uh, IBM realised that women would make really good programmers uh, in defiance of, the, you know, the industry perception that women couldn't program. And so they said, yeah, come on, we've got all these women working in the typing pool. Let's promote them. And uh, so, I mean, they all potentially had, they were all like selected to be good typists. So presumably that indicated some some sort of coordination, I don't know. But in any case, so there was this population of women in, in IBM and they decided, you know, to see if they could get some to be retrained to be programmers because there's a sh real shortage of programmers at the time. And they thought, let's do it in-house and, and have our own people. And the conundrum was that, like, the, the best typists would never get onto that program. 
because like like programmers weren't necessarily going to be useful, but typists were bloody useful, and you didn't want to lose <laughs> oh, your yeah. best typists, you see. <laughs> and, and and so it's not that the it's not that poor typists make good programmers. Uh, it's rather that if you're a good typist, you're never going to get the chance to show you, you can be a good type, uh, a good programmer or not. So, so you're saying typists are useful, but I'm not sure. Like, I'm uh, like, I'm not sure she's not just a, a a a look good receptionist. Well, she certainly didn't want the job of looking after his expenses. No, well, no one wanted that job, did they? Yeah, he he comes, he arrives, and he's trying to get his flight. Bill paid, I presume, and he's got this receipt supposedly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he just and gets eventually off. they, yeah, that's right, they fob him off. Someone else will deal with that. Eventually, he speaks to someone in accounts on that wonderful old telephone, like what we used to have, and the guy in accounts says that there was no record of that flight when they checked. There's an important error in the recreation of that phone call. Oh, uh, you looked at IMDb's did, yeah. trivia section. Yes, that's that's right. The Italian. Dial tone is not correctly represented. <laughs> it's a point six second pause, then a point two second, uh, and then a pause. So like dee 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 kind of sound. But like typewriters, no one knows what a dial tone is these days because mobile phones don't have them, do they? they don't I don't know you because just... if you call France, uh, then when the, when the ringing's happening, when the person hasn't picked up, even though it's making a call to a cell phone, you still get that distinctly French. Uh, really? Yeah, it rings out in a yeah. French accent. Yeah. Yeah. It's like hearing a French ambulance when you get off at the Garden Ore or something. It's, it sounds different. Me, ma, me, ma. Yeah, that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, where were we explaining the plot? So, this guy arrives. He's highly regarded, supposedly. He meets, he meets the Italian producer of the film, mm-hmm. who. Francesco Caraccio. He's a bit of a manipulative guy, isn't he? He constantly yeah. manipulates uh, Gilderoy. He, he tells him that, you know, for instance, he has to be more assertive and stuff. Or was that the was that Sylvia who told him that over his expenses? Yeah. And he, he tells him off for uh, one of the first things he says, I think, when he meets the director is that the one of the pieces of equipment needs some... Was it, was it the Watkins? No, it was something else needed. It's, uh, yeah. Filters. It's diodes. Or something. Cleaning, yeah. And he gets told that you should you should never say something negative when you first meet somebody. Which is either good advice, but I think it's more kind of a... It's a way of belittling him, isn't it? Mm. Well, there's all sorts of interesting stuff here. I mean, the casting of it, because Toby Jones is not a... He's not a, uh, a handsome man. and he's uh, not a leading man kind of guy. Uh, he's not style. a especially tall fellow either. But all the Italians are all sort of big, hairy, you know, <laughs> um, what's the word I'm looking for? Trolls. Well manicured. Yeah, they sort of, they look, they look glamorous and, um, you know, the, the, the men are tall and they've got bushy hair and the women are very attractive and, and sleekly dressed and, they all look, you know, they, they look like men of the world who are going about their important business. Um, and he just sort of like shuffles about looking downcast and, and dejected throughout. So there's, there's a very distinct uh, difference in pr- representation of Gilderoy and uh, all the Italian cast members. It, it's quite well observed that. It's kind yeah. of the way I feel when I'm, when I'm travelling on business. <laughs> <laughs> I feel I don't belong amongst all of the glamorous jet set. 
Well, that's oh. the point, isn't it? You've got to. I, I used to think feel like that a lot of the time. I'm a, a, an imposter here, yeah. um, but as soon as you realise that every, isn't it? Yeah. as soon as you realise that everyone else feels exactly the same way, then you can play on that. <laughs> <laughs> a certain extent, create your own history if you're in a in a completely new place. Fake it till you make it, kind of stuff. Yeah, which is kind of fun. And there are two guys working in the studio on the <laughs> oh, foley, yeah. Fabio. No, they're no, both they were... called Massimo and Massimo, aren't they? Massimo and Massimo. Oh, yeah. and they, those two guys. Yeah, yeah. And they, yeah. they never speak, and uh, they, they they just and you can't really tell which is Massimo and which is Massimo. So there's a kind of Rosencrantz and Guildenstern thing going on with those two, and they just they just wheeled in from time to time to smash the fuck out of a watermelon, and um, it's very much vegetable based, isn't it? The yeah, there's a lot here. of lot of. Um, I noted down the different foley foley methods here. Sorry. The different kinds of foley, foley recreation here. Watermelon is a slashing of flesh. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, number two was ripping of tendons is radish leaves. Incredibly. Yep. Uh, light bulb and a toast. <laughs> I thought I thought that was pulling hair from the head. Oh, the pulling the hair from the head. Yeah, the in the witch oh, interrogation sorry. scenes. I'm sorry. Uh, ripping of tendons or pulling hair of head is radish leaves. A light bulb, what seemed to be something like a toast rack, was it UFO. <laughs> A sizzling pan is a hot poker inserted into a witch's vagina. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. And vegetables just dumped in a fish tank is drowning a witch. So. Yeah, that, <laughs> that seems very odd. Yeah, they have a fish tank full of cabbage leaves or something. <laughs> and everything's rotting as well when it's left. It's like, um, I mean, there's a lots of little hints of things in here that reminded me of other films. Yes, uh, little keyholes into into something else, and um, sort of. I mean, the whole plot about the, the the fish out of water, rather a foreign expert being invited to Italy in order to do some work, and then being belittled and and um, uh, marginalised, reminds me a lot of um, Belly of an Architect, where that plot line is basically what's going on is someone not fully being un- not being able to fully understand uh, what's going on around them because of a language difference. Yeah, yeah, uh, and then so I thought that plot was very similar, uh, and then there were other references to um, yeah, all that rotting stuff. Then reminded me of Z and Two Noughts when they sort of uh, linger on the um, on the rotting vegetables once they've been thrown aside. Yeah, they they end up with a sort of tin bathtub full of rotting eggplants and radishes and cabbages, don't they? Mm. Watermelon. Yeah, watermelon is the only thing that seems to be offered to eat, but they always refuse it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Final foley is a chainsaw effect is done with a blender. So I don't know how <laughs> accurate this is about recreating foley, but there we go. Well, a lot of foley does rely on, like, I mean, snapping carrots is your classic breaking yeah. bones kind yeah. of foley. Uh, I'm not no, sure it's quite, quite this green grocery, though. I don't know. Whenever you hear a documentary on the radio about foley, they often they do talk about stuff like that, like you know, trays of sand and and people with different shoes. <laughs> it's hilarious to see where Massimo and Massimo are putting high heeled shoes on to walk on there <laughs> to recreate someone walking down a corridor, which is quite good. But then I thought, I mean, this aspect of it where it's the film is you you're never shown the film that they are making; it is only described That's right. uh, yeah. in the pre in the in the in the pre-dub if you will and um, all you see is the background guts of what's going on to make the film which is 
one of the things I find interesting, I mean, there are many things about this film that I find interesting. Whether I got to defend the film and enjoyed it is a different matter. But it was a fascinating watch, sort of um, almost like a documentary about filmmaking. Don't we also see sometimes the titles to the movies? Oh, yeah, he's got a big planner, hasn't he? It's, it's very organised. He's got a big calendar planner and he's writing down what he's going to be recording you know, uh-huh. on that planner. And as you say, Julian, when they play the clips... I think it's a director or whoever is voicing over saying, you know, in this the witch is yeah. having her hair pulled out or whatever. And it's all gruesome stuff. And you can see that Gilderoy is sort of becoming more and more upset by the, the, the vileness that he's seeing and, and also bizarrely getting, I don't know. Well, that's, is he getting more upset or is he getting used to it? I don't I know. That's, that's the, that's what we're not, that's the, uh, the central question, isn't it? At the end, when you're working, trying to work out what's actually happened. And where is he staying? That's what I was <laughs> yeah, trying no, to figure it, out. Because it looks like a flat, doesn't it? But then it seems to be like a door leading back into the stu- into the sound studio. This is one of the many sort of unrealities about it. Mm. I mean, it can't possibly be a door connecting to the studio, but it's not a hotel. It doesn't feel like a hotel because no. he's got a kitchenette, doesn't he? Mm-hmm, this mm-hmm. is where he's, he ends up recording, as you say, Paul, the chainsaw scene he's recording in a blender. And he's doing that, I think, in his own home as it were or his own place where he's been staying but yeah he, he there are several times where he opens the door and then he's opening the door into the studio but i think that's uh, equally you read that like it's just an editing thing isn't that a dreamscape this is it isn't it yeah because as we go through the film a couple of things start to happen and um there's a moment where he was asleep on his bed and he's does he wake up and one of the actors is is there? Am I or I'm imagining it? I, I find it difficult now to remember because mm. it does. I mean, it does become increasingly unhinged, and you are then brought every aspect of the film and your understanding of it so far is brought into question. And well, I mean, the first time he cuts these dreamy sequences, there's a spider. He tends to a spider. Oh yes, the spider. And lets yeah. a spider crawl on him and out through the window, kind of thing. Yeah. With background music that was very reminiscent of the era. So, or, or it, movies of that kind of. It's uh, one of those spiders that I don't think we really get here. I'm not sure we really have them, do we? It's like a daddy. I think the Americans call them a daddy long leg spider. Yeah. It's got very long legs, quite a small body, but. Not dangerous, I don't think, in any way. But no. uh, there we go. But he, he, yeah, he, and about four occasions, he sort of tenderly scoops his spider up and lets it out the window, doesn't he? And then at the end, doesn't. Yeah, it's a repeated <laughs> theme, and I didn't really understand it. Like, quite a lot of this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I mean, we were watching it, and uh, we kept stop. Well, we... We we only got an hour in, and then my wife and I both fell asleep. But that's more a function of us being exhausted rather than not enjoying the film. But we did have to keep pausing it and saying, "What the hell just happened?" And then she said, "Well, I could sit here and analyze this film. I could tell you about all the different things that you know are relating to this, that, and the other. And this is you know this is multi layered and contextualized, but it doesn't really go anywhere with it." So that's anyway, it. so you're that's saying, it. Richard, quite rightly, that the the director is quite brusque. Not just to Gilderoy, but to the voice actors themselves, and and Gilderoy is in this in this sort of enclosed hermetic world of, of gruesome sounds, whilst this director is 
being horrible to everybody in the studio. Uh, to the extent that Sylvia, who plays Teresa, who's played by Fatma in real life, she quits, doesn't she? She ruins the her own tapes. Every, anything with her voice is ruined. But we also find out that he's been sexually assaulting her at the same time. Yeah, that's right. She's had enough. And perhaps in an early reflection of the Me Too movement, she she um, makes a protest by destroying or pulling all the tapes out and shoving them on the floor. I, I mean, he's a proper weirdo, isn't he, that director? There's that... Well, really there's two characters, scene. there's the director and the producer. Yeah. And you've got yeah. to think, I can't, I, I'm not sure which one you're referring to, because the director only comes in very occasionally. And, the director's uh, the guy with the dog, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, the producer is very, well, the producer's quite a shifty character in himself, but he's yeah. not a complete weirdo. The director, at, at one point, makes this big speech with that it's not horror. That he's yes. not. Oh, Santini. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is his name Santini? And that's I think him. it's the director that's abusing the actor. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I see. I thought it was a producer. Well, I thought the director was a producer. I got confused. But, it, well, who who wouldn't get confused? I mean, crikey. <laughs> but later there's a really awkward scene where he's he says he's trying to get to know Gilderoy and he feeds him an olive or a grape or something. Uh-huh. And he says, where I come from, we swallow the seeds. Yes. <laughs> like, no, you don't, you idiot. <laughs> What did Neil say in The Young Ones? Nature. We grow the seeds. We eat the seeds. We eat the seeds. <laughs> Nature grows the seeds. Nature grows the seeds. And we eat the seeds. We eat the seeds. <laughs> <laughs> and all they knew, the whole issue was letting in water. But, so... So, so yeah, it all goes to pot. And I have to say, it really all went to pot for me at the end. I just didn't really know what I was watching at this point. Uh, like... Uh, well, the, the point where it starts getting really weird is... Well, the flight, he can't find his flight for his reimbursement county or something. That's certainly that a hint that things are going yeah. weird. But then there's a moment where he wakes up in the night, he goes to his to the door, he walks there's into the darkness rattling, Someone's door. rattling the door, aren't they, on the other side. And he finds himself in the sound studio watching a film of himself yes. waking up. Yeah. But it's all dubbed in Italian. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> And then the sort of the screen. Presumably, goes, he's done the dubbing for it. Presumably, yeah. Well, we don't know, but he's looking know. a bit, bit perplexed, isn't he? As are we. Yeah. And then the screen sort of goes white, and he becomes subsumed into it in that classic sort of breaking the first wall, if you will, of the film. He sort of like steps into the film, and it breaks. And then we see his nature movie, the Box Hill. That's right. Night, uh, you know. It was the Magpies. Oh, the Magpies bit. You haven't got to that. That was my wife's favorite well, bit. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But, so it's, let me just surmise, it's a film of a film made watching himself in a film where things happen that already are in the other film too. Well, I, again, we're not... If that makes sense. This bit. <clears throat> well, the whole last quarter of the film, Gilderoy speaking in Italian and stuff that has already happened is happening again, like it's being redubbed uh, That's and right. recreated. Yeah. We and see then, the first scene where he's sitting in the theatre with the producer watching yeah. asking and what this is about but it's now in Italian yeah and and what we're looking at on screen is him fighting a witch in the room where he was where he was sleeping earlier it's so weird yeah because it, it I mean it's really well done but it's not done well enough for me to understand what was going on <clears throat> get, get on to your magpies surely <laughs> what do you want well, to say about them 
well, he, well he's a, receiving no, uh, le- letters, letters from his, from mom, his mother. Yeah, yeah, back in England, and the, and she's talking about the um, some How's birds the have food? nested, some birds have nested, and the little ones are getting on, and and through the chiff so chaffs, chiff chaff. chaffs, that's it. And there are three letters, aren't there? And it's like a little release for him uh, mm. that it, it, this is some you know welcome message from home that's just giving him a little bit of sucker in what is otherwise a completely um, like uh, disorienting and. Uh, unpleasant situation uh, and the letters progress he talks about the chiff chaffs are doing well and blah 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 and singing and then the last letter he gets they've been slaughtered and the and the, and the parents of the chiff chaffs are crying and it's like it was the magpies it must have been the magpies so. and then and then that's when it, he becomes what we assume to be unhinged and uh, separates from reality and we're not sure what reality was in the first instance and one of the rip the, well, the replacement actor who's coming in to voice over the girl who left, she comes in and into the studio and she says, kind of rehearse the lines. And she starts speaking the words of the letter. Oh, that's right. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> talking about the magpies. For the life of me now, I can't remember whether she was speaking Italian and, re- and I was reading the subtitles. Because <laughs> now for the whole yes, point... Yes, it was at, at this point, you're confused too, yeah? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good. So if the aim was, you know, confusion, was to generate a, a, a destructive form of confusion, I think this film definitely succeeded. And, and let's not forget, although Sylvia was very unhappy with the director because he'd abused her, she, she quit because Gilderoy always being told to get a scream out of her. And so he plugs into her headphones and he plays a really horrible noise into them. No, no, yeah. that's later on. That's, that's the second woman. That's the second woman. He becomes the torturer at this point. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so he, he, yeah. they essentially torture the voice talent, yeah. But, he's, he's torturing the witch, effectively, yeah. I guess. Yeah. But it's weird. It's kind of like a reverse Oniswaki Mali Pons, like poetic justice somehow arbitrarily dispensed kind of movie. I don't think it is serious. It's just, it's just slightly weird. It's a bit like a Mellotron, you know. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's all squidgy and wobbly and not quite in the right direction kind of stuff isn't it you know it's all it's the only way i can describe this movie yeah it it feels like it has a point but i don't know what it is what it is yeah exactly we weren't able to um to, to put our finger on exactly exactly what had happened at the end and why it, it feels like it has a point we don't know what it is yeah it's likely they don't know what it is but they are confident they have a point you see it's that kind of thing <laughs> It's it's parting the fog, isn't it? This movie's parting fog that just doesn't ever end, kind of thing. <laughs> you know, there's that aphorism or that fable, or I don't know what you would call it, about the Buddhist monk who one night dreams that he was a butterfly in a garden going from flower to flower. And ever after that night, he never knows whether he was a man who dreamt he was a butterfly or a butterfly that's now dreaming it's a man. Uh-huh. That's a bit like what it feels like. At the end of the film, I wondered yeah, whether... Yeah. Is Gilderoy an Italian who had to dream that he was a British yeah. uh, sound engineer? Or he's, you know... Is he dreaming now that he's Italian? So what you're saying is entirely disorientating. Yeah, or... <laughs> so does it, is this a recommendation, therefore? Uh, well, is it just... a recommendation? Mm. Well, because I mean, Richard... I don't know about you, John, but Richard is of the opinion that art... That, Disorientates intentionally is necessarily worthwhile, oh, <laughs> or something like that. Like Richard thinks a concrete wall with negative space is really good art. 
um, just uh, can I just pause for a second there because I need to I need to think about that. Oh, Paul said something about uh, art being necessarily. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah, let's ignore that shit. <laughs> he was, he was just trying to yank my chain. Yes, yeah. but I was going to respond to that because I thought it was an interesting. Because <laughs> you Please know, Jolin, Jolin, you Please. know they're, they're knocking down the wall in Piccadilly Gardens. It's already uh-huh. gone, Paul. It's gone, and Rich is really upset about it. I just find it amusing. I don't know which wall you mean in Piccadilly Gardens. It's a piece so. of concrete shit by some Japanese artists who's done much better concrete walls in other parts of the world. <laughs> okay. Have you, are you wearing fake eyebrows? And fake lips. And fake moustache. It's like <laughs> your, your usual sort of uh, Alan Alder look has been uh, altered somewhat. I'm sorry, did you make derogatory remarks about my appearance? No. <laughs> I think Alan Alder... You did, didn't you? No, he's a pleasantly avuncular sort of chap. Anyway, where were we? Oh, podcast, go on. Well, where we were was... About to score this thing. That's right. Unless Jolien has got a spirited defence of pointless art, it's time to do the scores. Uh, I I, I don't necessarily... It was pointless art. Uh, I don't think this was pointless art. Um, It's definitely arty. Uh, But... And I definitely don't regret watching it. But I think that's more for the summing up, so we'll leave but, that for a bit more. But do you think do you think that disorientating disorientation is a valid aim in art? Yes. You do? Yeah. In and of itself. It can be. It's not you know, it wouldn't be the only thing. You wouldn't listen to it uh you wouldn't return to an artist again and again and again who do, whose trick is to disorientate you. Precisely. But if you look at something like um what's she is it Bridget Riley, um the the one the artist who uh, But what, you say you wouldn't return to an artist, you, you do admit that art should in essence, be pleasing, yeah, in some mm. sort of way. You should get something from it, whether that is affecting, uh, not necessarily pleasing. Yeah, affecting. I think you're right there, Rick. I think if you just, if you just, I mean, you're looking at like people's friends' illustrations. If you're just looking at pleasing art, aren't you? You've got mm. to be challenged and uh, upset and, and 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 things like that to get the best of it and to get the best of yourself. That which does not kill you makes you stronger. Uh, no. Oh, <laughs> but why? Why? Do, why? Why do we need to be challenged to get the best of it? I mean, well, do you not find if you're watching or listening to something, uh, or reading a book or whatever, anything, if you've had to think about it, if you've had to question what's going on a little bit, um, and question your reaction to it, uh, is that not you? You're not coming away from that experience having had a deeper. Uh, uh, engagement and pleasure than if it is just some uh, I don't know married with children or something Paul you couldn't live off sherbet lemons and foam pigs forever yeah sometimes you need olives oh a bit of God. bit of chilli powder in your food in your culinary mm. range don't you you're kind of begging the question though aren't you you're, you're, you're assuming that that things that we think about is necessarily olives rather than sherbet lemons an olive is challenging like food stuff, isn't it? Not everyone likes them. I don't. Care. <laughs> oh, that's your meaning. Okay. Just... I think I find sherbet lemons quite a challenging food stuff. Well, to be honest, I, to be honest with you, I wouldn't choose sherbet lemons. I think it's more for me. It would be black currants and licorice. Is that a problem for you? Wow, that's exotic. Or yeah. 
those lime and chocolate. Do you remember lime and chocolate? Oh, they were revolting. Oh, I love those. Revolting. There we go, oh. you see. Like, I, I like the revolting <laughs> stuff anyway, you see. So, so and they are revolting, but I love them. So, mm. And it's okay. a shame because we've been Hariboized to the tilt, to the hilt, and and none of these none of these wonderful candies exist anymore because of... Yeah, you can't get them. There's a specialist yeah, you uh, store. You have to go to a specialist in... store, though, don't you? Specialist stores, called, yeah. What used to be called the Through the bead store. curtain, and you have to ask for them. Under the counter, as it were. Yeah, Here, Gov, yeah. you got any special stuff? You got any lime yeah. and chocolates? Have you got any, have you got any, uh, uh, got any kids' stuff? <laughs> yeah, any cinder toffee. Got any cinder toffee? <laughs> just, just one piece, you know. Jones so, in, yeah, Jones I mean, in. okay, I, I'll, I'll go with you. That thinking about things makes things deeper, okay. And olives are olives, and, 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 and black currants and licorice is black currants and licorice. Okay, I'll go with that. But I don't think we necessarily think deeply and uh, are provoked by art that aims to think de- aims to make us think deeply and aims to provoke us isn't well isn't there just a random isn't there just a random walk going on here with art you know i mean well again there is good art that is trying to provoke that feel sensation and there is and bad, bad art so if it's successful then it's good if it isn't it's trash or it's something that you don't particularly enjoy and it's something that someone else might enjoy which is unfortunately, um, uh, I don't know what's the word I'm saying. Jesus. Shit. No. What? Equanimous. Equanimous. Yes. It's unusually equanimous for me to say that because usually I'm I'm prepared to offer an opinion on anything. (laughs) Equanimous. Equanimous, yes. I heard that. Equine anonymous. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Now you have to go to your Equine Anonymous meetings. I've got four horses. That's too many horses. <laughs> I'm just about to buy another horse, but I can't. I need to stop. I need help. Did they ever find what happened to Shergar? Uh, I don't know. Was he show up at a Fray Bentos pie? <laughs> Which, can we just get back to it? You being Equine Anonymous about what, Joel? Here? No, it's time uh, for school. People's yeah. enjoyment of art. <laughs> Magnanimous, I think you Magnanimous, that's the word I needed to find. But Equine Anonymous is almost there. Let's talk about the acting and give it a score. Uh huh. Toby Jones, decent actor. Yeah. Yeah, the acting was the best of the of the rest. I thought here. Yeah, it was excellent acting. Perfect. I thought really it was. um, You would. He was. Toby Jones in particular. He's always a strong performer. I think even the other uh, the other people. You 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 definitely believed them that they were doing the things that they were doing there was no overacting there was no questioning uh there was no you didn't break the fourth wall because you thought to yourself jesus i could have done that better all right everyone's performances were strong yeah massimo massimo everyone's favorites obviously <laughs> so i'll give this an eight for acting i'm gonna yeah. give it an eight too yeah i'd agree with that that's what i'd thought in advance nice um what about oh well we should do is this a horror movie if so, we should do the scare factor, shouldn't we? Well, was it a horror movie? No. Probably not, no. Psychological horror, perhaps. Um, yeah. So, atmosphere rather than scare. All right. I scored it a three. I thought it was crap. <laughs> <laughs> what a well-chosen category. Thanks, Paul. Yeah. I mean, I liked the fish-out-of-water stuff, right? Yeah. That's yeah. quite good. And it was right. very effectively done, and the, the sort of, uh, the the, the uh, claustrophobia of it all being within two rooms, and yes, 
or two rooms in yeah. a corridor. You know, I thought it was all very well done. I thought it really created an ambiance for you, um, for you to inhabit. And I'm sure if I I'd guess. seen it in the cinema, I would have been much more um, freaked out and weirded by the end of it. Look, I'll go five here, split difference. Jolene, oh. you think better of it? Oh, yeah, certainly. It's at least a six, possibly a seven. We have a category called special effects and action. <laughs> Don't know how this fits in here. Well, I thought the sound effects were really good. Sound effects, yeah. Yeah, the effects, the, the, sound, uh, the sound of it was fantastic. But that was kind of the point, wasn't it? I love that bit where he went completely bonkers with tape loops. Yes. And he had it like all over the studio going yeah. backwards and forwards. That reminded me of stories you hear about like the Radiophonic Workshop yeah, yeah. and the work they were doing on the Hitchhiker's radio programme. Well, there's some famous footage, I think, of uh, Delia Derbyshire doing the Doctor Who theme with uh, tapes going at least you know, three metres of tape going back and forth between stuff. It's amazing, isn't it? It, it really made me think, this film, how much effort goes in to all of the movies that we spend 40 minutes rubbishing every week. Because, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, these days it's really easy, right? We do this digitally, we just get a yeah. file, I chop it up. In those days, everything had to be done on bits of celluloid and bits of magnetic tape and, and chopped tape yeah, manually, yeah. physically. Amazing. Um, which I'm not sure has anything to do with this category. But, uh, <laughs> but have you said that? I find um, with the digital ability to do absolutely anything you'd like i get option paralysis and i much rather work with the old analog stuff where you know what your parameters are and you can tinker with it a little bit and um yeah try and create something new with what you've got rather than try and create something new from absolutely everything is much harder yeah. constraints drive the art in yeah. a lot of respects yeah, yeah so i enjoy yeah returning to analog and that was something i really enjoyed about this film is like uh it's all the manipulation of tape and the manipulation of sound. There's lots of sliding of sliders and turning of knobs. and I loved all that. So in the sense that any of this fits into this category, I'll give it a seven. <laughs> yeah, I'll go with that. Paul, you're looking... Uh, eight. Oh. Eight for me. Well, okay, I have no idea where you're going with the overall score then, Paul, so why don't you start? <laughs> this was FX, yeah? We haven't talked about the plot. Oh, the plot, okay. The writing... Yeah. The plot was the weakest of it for me. Yeah, I scored it at three. It just um, doesn't hang together, does it? Isn't I couldn't tell you what it really means. I just got some no. vague ideas about things that it made me think. Hmm. It definitely wasn't strong on plot. I mean, I give it. A, I mean, it, it, you got the impression that something was unfolding, and then it didn't unfold. It just sort of disintegrated. Hmm. Um, yeah. So overall, I gave it. Oh, sorry, what do you give the plot, Richard? I'll give it a five. Oh. Overall, I gave it a five. I don't know what you guys thought. Well, it's difficult, isn't it? Because I, I really quite enjoyed it. Um, oh. I, I, I liked... I guess you would have done, yeah. But Did you hate it, Paul? I didn't. No, I was just really confused and disorientated by it. To the extent I couldn't watch it in one sitting, which is rare for me. See, I wish I had watched it in one sitting so that you get more of a, a, an unbroken... I think it's impossible to. It's just unwatchable. <laughs> in that respect. I think the fact, you know, like, should art be enjoyable? To the extent that you can actually bear it, yes. You know, I mean... It, it's well made. It's got a lot going for it. It does project some uncomfortable scenes and ideas. For all of that, I, I mean, I just about recommend it, I think, even though it's a bit odd so I'll give it a six overall yeah 
I would definitely recommend it. Um, I would not be in a hurry to watch it again, but I think uh, I don't regret having watched it, certainly. I think I got something from it. You know, there's, uh, there's, there's chewy nuggets of it for you to go away and think about uh, during your everyday life. I beg your pardon, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> so, so is that six? Yeah, I don't know. I think I, 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 I am. I said a seven. Nice. Wow. Mm. Yeah, I can understand that. Uh, well, I, I wonder, quite... do you think you should be checking out more of what Peter Strickland has done? Or is that saying too much? <laughs> <laughs> See, I, I think of the uh, the gas salesman on um, in uh, King of the Hill. Now. I can't get that idea out of my head. <laughs> propane and propane accessories. All right. Yeah, I think I, I probably would check it out to have a look what, what he's done before. So we need to choose a movie for next week. Well, Paul, you came up with some suggestions, didn't you? Uh, you mentioned Greenland as being one of them. Oh, yes, Greenland. What a good idea. Is that the one you want to watch? And the other one you mentioned was the the Phoenix Incident. Yes, the Phoenix Incident. I'm going to choose the Phoenix Incident for two reasons. One, it purports to be a true story. And two, it also is a found footage film. Which means, I guess it isn't a true story. Hmm. Thanks, everyone. And that's the end of this episode. Thanks to our Jolian. Thank you. I've enjoyed it. The only thing left to do is to count in the music, like we always do. In three. Two. One.